welcome to another episode of El Cafecito. My name is Leonardo Casenza. I'm your host for the second season. And we're back from our little break following the corona crisis. Um, we had to stop our recordings for a bit um, because everything stopped in the university. We had to go back to our homes. I'm in Rio right now. Everyone is in lockdown. Everyone is in their social isolation. And we had to stop for a bit, but now we're back. We're doing it remotely for the first time. Let's see how that's going to go. Um, but before I introduce our, um, our topic, I'll just introduce our guests, please. Uh, Anna? Hey, everyone. It's Anna, and I'm actually in my bed right now. Oh, hola, hello, Cubo. My name is Raquel, and uh, I'm not able to go home until further notice. Gilly. Buenas tardes, hermanos. I just wanted to say that the president of Brazil is a genocidal fascist. And we're going to talk about this soon. So this episode is about the corona crisis in Latin America. We're going to try to make it really general, try to talk about different countries in Latin America. But I would like to start with Brazil because in Brazil, there's only two things that we talk about here. And I end up watching the mainstream TV almost every day and it, it's, it affects me emotionally sometimes, but I still keep on going because it's important. And the two main things we talk about nowadays, first is the corona, coronavirus crisis and the second one is Bolsonaro, who's our president right now. And he, when Bolsonaro got involved in this political scandal last week, uh, when his Minister of Justice renounced his uh, his role after apparently Bolsonaro pressuring him to um, appoint uh, a specific person in the federal police, and then that 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 whole discussion is is being held out right now whether this was a political interference because. Bolsonaro wanted um, privileged information of the of his son's case in the federal police because his son his son is involved in is being indicted for uh, fake news and for receiving of, of also is on corruption charges for receiving it's this tactic called the hashajinha that's what we call it here where you'll have uh, people working for your your ministerial in your cabinet in your political cabinet and then instead of of, of paying people you pay like ghost workers and this money goes back to you. And he's uh, he's being investigated for that. This this crisis right now is unfolding in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic, which is making things even worse. And Bolsonaro has um, Bolsonaro has been quite open about his his hate of the coronavirus, and he doesn't think the situation is as serious as it's unfolding right now. Um, I think it was last week when he said that when he was asked about the victims of coronavirus, which are now in in Brazil passing the 700 uh, mark a day he said so what so what and a couple of weeks prior to to what to, to this event he said um that coronavirus was just a little flu and that he wouldn't be affected by it and people wouldn't be affected by it and so now we're we're in this in this moment where everyone is suffering so much from social isolation and um are actually anxious about what's happening right now and we have a, a political crisis unfolding parallel to that, that can can be can quite it's quite inflammatory, to this to the point where the Bolsonaro has been um, calling for rallies every week, every Sunday he's going in rallies. Yes, they are happening in Brasilia, and he's um, like holding people's hands and kissing them and taking photos as if nothing is happening. And the past two weeks, he's been going to these rallies that have been calling for the closure of the Congress, the closure of the Supreme Court. 
so he's also being investigated for participating in inciting these movements so right now i think in brazil we're in a very delicate political situation where our president is denying the seriousness of coronavirus while also going through this um this uh political crisis that is passive of impeachments which can get really serious and i think that nowadays even the most like sober commentators are are actually worried that bolsonaro might do something stupid might um call for a self-coup um gilly i just wanted to to know what do you think of all of this because it's certainly a lot and it's certainly um a quite delicate situation that brazil finds itself right now yeah of course it's a lot to absorb too because um even from the beginning i i even though we always know that bolsonaro was crazy not crazy i mean just he was a populist who never did exactly what you think he would do um i never expected him to respond to this crisis this badly even responding to a serious global pandemic with a political crisis that's basically his solution is dealing a crisis with another crisis um because as you said he sacrificed his most uh important minister that had for um for something that doesn't seem like is worth it um but that raises new questions about oh is he trying to cover up something uh with this new head of the federal police and one thing that i i think you left out which is quite important is that uh in his rallies he's been calling actively for the closure of the supreme court of brazil and the congress um his all of these rallies almost in the, the past couple of weeks have had this uh overtone of a coup of literally closing the other two powers and while it seems like there is a a small parcel of the population who would support that it is still worrying and the fact that there's so many um military officers both in in the reserve right so you're either in an active military officer or your reserve military officer uh the government uh, has many has both of these uh both uh, in the reform, uh, both in the reserve and active officers, both uh, well serving important uh, positions in his government, either as ministers or secretaries. So um, like the fact that there's the military is so involved with his government and he constantly uh, uses the military as a point of of as a clutch in a way. So in the rally, he did say that um, the Supreme Court better better almost say it said that the Supreme Court better not defy his decisions anymore because um he will not take it anymore and he said uh and I quote the military is on the side of the people so it is worrying these these statements are definitely mm, much more than I ever expected would happen um but again it's not like he ever hid any of this uh, in the election campaign of 2018 he would always say stuff like that he said that and i quote it will only take a soldier and a corporal to close the supreme court during the elections he said that and he was voted into office anyways so while this is extreme you can't say that this is new and you can't say that he hit this all the time it was right there and people voted on him anyways and that makes me it makes me really sad that we're we're right now talking a lot about like this political crisis while the corona is spreading so fast in Brazil and I'm looking right now at this graph that shows like the logarithmic um increase um of the 
the number of cases in Latin America. And the line in Brazil is just so above the other countries. Of course, Brazil has more people than the other Latin American countries, but it's going so steadily so fast that right now in the, the moment of this recording, the Brazil has registered more than 120,000 cases and around 9,000 deaths. Um, the second the second ranking countries in number of uh, number of cases is Peru with about 55,000 and after that Ecuador with about 32,000 and these this this information is quite staggering because at least for me when I when I got back home in the beginning uh, the at, kind of late March I thought this this crisis would last maybe the, the, the social isolation period would last maybe one month and a half, two months, but it feels like it's going to take way longer than that, maybe two months, three months, four months, because the curve in Brazil is not flattening at all. And I'm in a, and I'm definitely worried about, um, for my country because I know if you, you guys get this feeling too, but in Brazil, the situation, the the situation of the healthcare system is already so delicate. It's usually already kind of in collapse. It was it was already affecting people in a um, for its lack of services for so long, and now having this uh, the coronavirus um, crisis affects it to the point of of overflow of, of co- absolute collapse. And I wonder if in the, the in other Latin American countries, what is the what is the feeling that people get? Was the situation already unstable to the point where um, the country couldn't take it anymore, and then this crisis was the last tipping point to to be able to to completely um, overwhelm the uh, healthcare systems of the countries that we're talking about? Yeah, Leo. So I'm I'm not in Colombia right now, um, but my family is, and I'm talking to them. And my dad was there and he left mid-March so what I see yes it's similar to the Brazilian context because what's happening in Colombia is that a vast majority of people rely on the informal labor market right and Colombia is a very stratified country so those who have access to private medical care they're they're doing fine right now but the public infrastructure is not as strong as it could be it is better than in some places but it's not great and that is what's falling through the cracks right now um i just read an article about a small fishing community whose like icu essentially is like completely full they're fighting to get resources you know like kind of what's happening everywhere like doctors nurses aren't getting the resources that are required there's like long wait lines for public testing for coronavirus um So that's kind of what's happening now. And what I notice is the people who have funds, they're able to get their tests, you know, within an hour. But if you have to go through the public route, it can take so long and you have to be like exposed to more people waiting in line. Um, Yeah, and that's kind of the problem happening in Colombia, uh, especially between the rural and the urban and indigenous communities are are actually quite scared and they, they keep asking for more resources. They're not getting help. Um, and a lot of them have just begun to organize themselves to defend their communities like they used to defend themselves for the armed, like, guerrilla movements. So they said that they, like, that's their health system. They basically just, like, form a militia and guard the roads, kind of like they used to do during the conflict because that's the only way to keep their community safe right now. 
that's really interesting. I think the the point about the informal workers was a part that was also really a really poignant of the Brazilian case because in Brazil, a, a, about a quarter of our of our workers are in the informal markets, and and that's that's a, a huge staggering number, and they were clearly affected by the Corona um, crisis and. Um, what the government passed this um, this financial support to them, and it's uh, 600 reais uh, a month for a period of three months, that can be extended extended later on. But what's um, what's interesting about all of this is that I think people are starting to recognize how important the state um, the state's state's functions are uh, in society in general, um, in a period of crisis, yes, but also in, in periods that are not in, in crisis. And the, the state is important in its um, it's filling up of the spaces that the market won't won't support uh, in, in trying to reduce the income inequality gap um, and trying to support people that can't financially support themselves in the moment of crisis. So I think there's um, there's finally this discussion of whether the state should be um, this deepened discussion of whether the state should be supporting people um, to a greater extent. Um, when compared to uh, when compared to last year, for example, especially this debate of basic income, where now we're starting to realize that certain people, um, or at least the whole globe, can be affected so much about uh, so much if the market fails, like it's failing right now, that the the state needs to step in somehow to support these people and be there for them. And I think um, it's one of those issues that it's not. It's not even. I, I think that shouldn't even be kind of heavily debated that the that the informal workers in Brazil needed the support. Like it was a, a question of life and life or death. It's it's really really important that they got the support from the government. But I think that more discussion should have been had around how much they are receiving, because 600 reais, if we if we put it in the in the exchange right now, how much it is round key like. The dollar is at 550 for the hao, so maybe a hundred dollars a a month, um, a which more, is a bit more, a bit more, which is uh, in in the Brazilian context not enough to to support a family, um, not enough for people. It's really it's like the 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 real bare minimum um, for people to survive during the quarantine, and that's a part that that really really affects me because. It makes me it make, makes me really sad that despite um, the whole crisis, the government will will not support its population enough, and there's already so many issues with um, um, people being re- people getting registered for the for to receive the uh, the support. I think it gets to to a point that this is a it's, it's a question about whether whether the state is there to support the most basic needs of the population. And if it's not there to step in and support people, then what is it for? And I think this discussion is starting to be. People are starting to actually notice and realize that the state might be more important in these moments of crisis. But meanwhile, we have um, the president denying parts of the crisis, and in fact, getting involved in a, in a political crisis that shouldn't shouldn't be occurring right now because there are uh, there's other issues that must be it must, must be tended to and his discourse completely avoids and completely negates the the, the current wave of, of the current crisis and I'm, i'm afraid that eventually the tides are going to turn and the situation is going to get bad to the point where the healthcare system that's already in collapse is going to completely collapse and and bolsonaro might use this as a as a political tool to to 
um, to close the Congress or close the Supreme Court. So that's why I think it's such a tense situation right now because we can't expect what what the next thing Bolsonaro is going to say because he's in a way just like Trump and he'll fire powerful arguments one after the other. And with a crisis to to blame, he can definitely uh, definitely use use it as a scapegoat to um, improve his political status right now. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I just wanted to add that um, as of last week, the Wall Street Journal published an article saying that Brazil is officially the epicenter of the coronavirus crisis. So I don't know if the Wall Street Journal is um, has expertise to, come to well claim that, to say that is a fact, um, but I think it is undeniable that the way things are going, um, many Brazilians, I want to say mostly, oh, you're there, but like from what I'm seeing, it seems like most um, are not employing strict uh, social distancing. Um, is would you say that is the case? From what I've read, the the objective was to maintain um, more than seventy sixty percent of uh, of people isolated, and this this the figures have been around forty five to fifty percent, and it's been oscillating a lot. Um, but I think that people respond really easily to what they see on TV, and that's another aspect that I don't know if you guys feel it, but it feels like the situation um, in other developed countries, mostly in Canada, is is, con- is somehow within uh, a parameter of control. Like it's of, of course it's uh, it's really sad to see people die, and it's really sad to see um, hospitals being overflown with people. But there's this, it feels like this the the country is holding itself together, and it's still able to control aspects of the crisis. While at least it feels, I get this feeling when I watch the news here in Brazil that that, that things are going completely out of control. That really um, the state is involved in its own issues and its own political crisis, and um, and while the healthcare system collapses and things are going um, astray, and I don't know if you have the same perception um, in in other countries in Latin America as as I do here in Brazil. Okay, well, I mean, I watch news from both Canada and Colombia. Um, being here in Toronto, I can tell you people are not social distancing. I look out the window and there's 20 people standing around a streetlight. I just think the media coverage here is different than what it is in Latin America. Um, because if, I mean, I was comparing the numbers today in Colombia, there's around 10,000 confirmed cases, but they have like, what, 9 million more people in Colombia than in Canada and Canada, what are we at now? Like over what, 30,000, I'm not sure cases. Um, so I think what's happening in Canada compared to Latin America is that there's like a facade that things are in control. But they're they're really not um, like there's still peaks coming up, like different pockets of the country are opening, some aren't. There is a lot of like conflicts, but it's kind of the issue is in Canada, like people fight about these conflicts, but there's not mobilization. Whereas I know in Colombia, for example, like um, low income neighborhoods and like neighborhoods that are like very informal are protesting and like doing caserolazos and and things like that. So there's more coverage on these like grassroots movements that are exposing the flaws of like capitalism and everything in the country. Whereas in Canada, everything's kind of like just pushed under the rug. Any problems that people have is just kind of on social media and that's it. So people from afar aren't really seeing it and they're seeing like, oh my gosh, Canada's doing so amazing. But it, it, it's not the case, you know? Yeah, um, I also feel that the Canadian experience is a bit different from the one in Ecuador. Um, a few weeks ago, 
we had a FaceTime call with uh, all my family. Most of them are all over the world. And we were just comparing how's the situation in each of our cities. And so I'm from Quito. And for example, there's a curfew every day after 2 p.m. So they are not allowed to go outside uh, unless you have a special ID or some kind of information that proves that you need to, to be outside. And there's only one day per week that you're allowed to use your car. Um, so for example, in my family, on that day, they go uh, grocery shopping and all that. But there's they're only allowed to have one um, person per family at the store. Um, while here, the other day, I went to Costco with my roommates and it was just the three of us. There was no problem at all. People were not respecting social distancing at all. They were not wearing masks or gloves. While back home, they are required to wear all these equipment if they want to go outside. Um, so in that sense, I'll say that the experience in Ecuador is very different than uh, in Canada. And Guayaquil, the uh, biggest and one of the biggest cities in, in my country actually faced one of the worst outbreaks in Latin America. And right now there's many families they're asking where are the bodies of their loved ones. Um, the health system was not prepared at all for something like this. Uh, a few, I think it was the, in March, maybe or late March, beginning of April, there were some videos on social media about dead bodies um, lying on the streets because they didn't have the support from the funerary services or hospitals to like take the bodies. So yeah, a lot of people are very worried. Uh, one of uh, the indigenous communities from the Amazon, they are the Siekopai people and they actually are, um, they fear of like extinction of their own community. Uh, I think there are around 700 members of the Siekopai people. So they're very worried that they're going to, like their their culture is going to get extinct. So they actually just, they have, tr they have tried to isolate themselves in the jungle. Uh, but there are other problems for them there as well due to the oil companies that work there and all of that. And it almost feels like they have been neglected from like medical services from the by the government because um, at the end they are the, the last ones to get test tested or get other type of medical um, service. So a lot of people are worried, a lot of people, um, there's so much uncertainty in Ecuador at this time. Um, a few, uh, Leo and Gia, you were talking about these um, economic uh, or just like some kind of grants given by the government in Ecuador last, uh, in, in March, um, sorry, in May, uh, the government uh, gave six, uh, 60 dollars, American dollars, to around 400,000 families, and they are giving another six, uh, 60 dollar uh, grant to more than uh, 500,000 families uh, in May. So it just, I'm very worried about them because with 60 dollars, I mean, there's no much you, there's nothing like you can do to um, support your family and have food for three meals per day and make sure that everyone has um, like their the things they need to I'll 
say, survive this pandemic, I, I'll say um, many students, they don't have access to internet or um, a smartphone. So like they, they are not able to continue their um, school term. So I'm just very worried about for sure the, the, the effects that we are seeing right now, because many families are impacted, but I'm more worried about the future, uh, where it's going to happen with these students that they don't have access to education. Are they going to pass the school year? Um, what's going to happen to the economic system? Uh, the president of Ecuador, he recognized that uh, we are actually living our uh, worst economic crisis since our um, independence. So that's very, very shocking. It's, I'm very worried about what's, uh, what's going to be the future of, of many, many Ecuadorians. And in that sense, it's just that by being here in Canada, I feel I'm so, yes, I'm isolated from people here as well, but I feel so distant from what's going on in my country because there's no much I can do to, to help people there because a lot of people are going through um, really, really hard situations. It's people that they, as Anna, you mentioned as well, this in Colombia, um, they live by what they earn from that day. So if they are not allowed to go outside, how are they providing to their families? So there's there's a lot of uncertainty, as I said before. Um, yeah, I think that's what I can share from about um, Ecuador. Raquel, I have a, a question for you. I heard um, that everyone who's in the public sector in, in Ecuador has mm -hmm. to, their salaries are getting cut. So they have to, they're getting paid less in order to fund, you know, the pandemic and the crisis. I don't know if you've heard about that, but um, one of my friends, he works in a public school and his already like $300 a month salary is getting slashed. Um, and I'm, I'm also wondering if you know about students, like I've heard some cases of Ecuadorian students here who um, are part of the Scholarship Institute and they are stranded with no financial support. They haven't received any payments for the year. Um, I don't know if you can speak to that or if you've heard about what's going on in those situations in Ecuador. Sure. Um, so for, for the first part, yes. Um, the other the other thing that I will say um or that I will add to that is that um, because the the government has no money right now, I I don't even think that they're going to like uh, public um, uh, like workers. I don't think they're going to get paid. Like it's I'm not sure if they're going to get paid at the end of the month because if the government has no money, there's there's no way they can they can pay them. So what usually happens in this type of situation is that they will get paid in like a month later or so. Um, so that adds uh, more uncertainty to more families. And regarding the um, uh, scholars, uh, so Ecuador, uh, the, a few years ago, the government uh, started this program. It's called the, um, it's like a, a, scho like a scholarship provided by the government that will pay your education. It could be undergrad or graduate uh, like uh, diplomas. Um, in different universities all over the world and most of these scholars uh, have been very very impacted by the economic crisis and their situation is um, really bad right now uh, given the pandemic but it's mainly because the government 
for what I understand, the government has to pay them, or this institute, they have to pay them, the students, uh, their fees and all the other expenses, but until now, they haven't been recognized. Uh, so some students from, from Ecuador have organized themselves and they have uh, tried to partner with uh, people that work at the assembly or uh, other international organizations that could help them bring this uh, point to the government as an important topic to discuss. But for what I know until now, they haven't been able to get their expenses paid. So that's very sad because imagine being by yourself with no no food to pay for groceries, no food to pay for rent, and um, you're by yourself. So that's um, way worse for not only your economic condition, but also for your mental health. And I think just it brings just a lot of questions about what you are doing, where, wherever you are, and what's going to be your future if you are not able to pay for what you owe. I just wanted to point out how Raquel has, has shown how this this crisis has unveiled the inequalities that exist in Latin America in a really in a really open way, right? It's like we can see the the natural effects of our inequality given the uh, our the different people's reactions and living standards during the the COVID crisis. I usually I, my mind usually goes to the like po post second the university students too, but also um, um, students that are still in um, in pre in the in uh, in school in 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 public schools here in Brazil and Rio especially that has a terrible educational public educational system where they are not having classes right now and the national examina examinations theoretically occur at the end of, of October and they're losing all this time while other people and other more advantaged students um, usually from private schools um, are having Zoom classes, Google Classroom um, classes. They have this access to, to the most basic things like laptops and computers that are now considered basic to be able to keep on, 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 on living their lives and, and continuing their studies. So it's interesting to see how um, just how how keeping people in their homes isolated creates all these generates all this inequality and exposes this inequality to to right in front of us so we can we can clearly see the disparity between someone who's work who's who studies in a public school or someone who studies in a private school it has completely frozen our lives uh, but to, to people that don't have the same um, possibilities and the, and the same opportunities um, as we do, it, they're complete. The situation is completely, completely freezing their lives, and um, and it's it's interesting to see because we at least I feel really anxious about the situation. I am really affected by social isolation, but I like to my mind usually wanders to these to these people that are being affected to the point of not being able to. Um, to do the most basic um, tasks in their lives because um, they wouldn't have access or they wouldn't have the same opportunities to do so. And that's something that happens in Latin America a lot. We have such an unequal society that will have certain people taking advantages of, of their of the most basic needs while others are are suffering in this moment of crisis and receiving not much money from the government to be able to support themselves. So it becomes um, a situation of almost hysteria where people I feel kind of um, hunched back and get into this kind of survival mode while while still we're trying to maintain our routines. We're still kind of like 
entrenched in our own little corners trying to survive um, and looking out for these people, like looking out for people that are they're going through way worse and, and, and only hoping that they might um, improve their situation and, and, and there might um, actually go through this crisis with less pain, but it's still really painful for all. Yeah, absolutely, Leo. Like, as you were saying, I just, I remember I was watching, a, like, a new, uh, what's it called? A broadcast from Columbia, and they were trying to spin this story of a little girl, I think she was seven, and her best friend who didn't have access to internet, didn't have a laptop, they were neighbors, so they would, like, share their mom's cell phone to do their schoolwork, and some broadcaster picked it up and made it a national feel-good story. They gave the little girl's laptop and they're like, wow, like, look at what we can do when we come together as a community. But I feel like the root of the issue isn't ever being discussed. Like, I mean, at least in Columbia, like, everyone is trying to make, like, all these charitable issues into, like, a feel-good moment without questioning the the structures. Um, and especially in Colombia, a country that is so conservative, like, um, the, the assistance that farmers, for example, are receiving are access to credit and access to loans to keep up with their production. But there's not actual like tangible help going on. And it, it breaks my heart to see that. Like I shouldn't have to see a little girl on the news cry about not being able to do her schoolwork just for her to get one laptop. You know, it's just, it's it's heartbreaking, as you said. Yeah. And, and as you as you're saying, it's. I mean, it's great that these girls got their laptops and everything, but as you said, there's a story behind that, and it's how the system has been working for many, many years, and how I think that the pandemic, as much as it has really um, negative effects, I think that it's important to start questioning the way we work or our what we call our normal life, um, and then question the system and what we can actually do to not only provide one laptop but provide more laptops or make sure that there's that more uh, public high schools have some kind of service for students that are not able like they don't have a, a smartphone or a computer device for their own I don't know it just I'm just scared that after all this happens, whenever it happens, if, if that's a thing, um, that we are just going to pretend that nothing happened or that we are just going to rely on small actions rather than doing something bigger. And I'm completely sure that we are able to do something bigger. It's just that we need to actually come up with something and start doing that and support other people and I mean, I don't, I don't know if anything is going to change big, but I, I think that definitely we'll have some evidence to show how um, certain, for example, social policy, social welfare policy is a, f a fundamental aspect of the state nowadays and that we have to support it and that certain neoliberal measures um, advocated by certain candidates and certain politicians, especially in Latin America, are are imploding the capacity of the state to provide for their citizens. That movements such as the Bolivarian movement, uh, the Buen Vivir movement in, in, in Ecuador, these different pink tide movements that we've already talked about here in the podcast and that we should have definitely have another opportunity to talk about them more, we're actually hitting on a point that is really important. 
that the state has to be there to provide certain services and that um, especially especially in a moment of crisis um, the state will be there and will be more prepared to be able to support the population to be able to provide these services um, which is a situation that we wouldn't encounter in a neoliberal state um, the, these emergent like these emergency matters would be um, specifically concentrated towards this situation which is the coronavirus and then eventually we would move on in the neoliberal state to something else and continue to cut um, budgets and, and, and reduce the state's capacity so it wouldn't be just a fleeting moment of, of, of a single support to people in a moment of crisis but should be considered a, a continual policy in the states not only in the world but specifically in Latin America that requires uh, a big state capacity to support people um, especially those in need yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> like how? No, what, I agree with you. Are you supposed Leo, to follow up? Oh. Hello. Guille, you've been very quiet, Just... Guille. Do you have anything to say? Yeah. Oh, yeah, but <clears throat> I don't know how to follow that up. <laughs> I was like, just end the podcast there. <laughs> I can, okay. I can definitely. Yeah. Well, if you have any any final comments, and then we can head off towards the ending. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, we can end with like, if you want, though. Uh, just like saying something that we just started like a, a new hobby or something like that just like to bring, bring some light at the end of the tunnel i'll say oh you want to bring some light okay okay yeah. I'll, I'll start i'll start i'll start i am back to my spanish classes and i promised that by the end of the year i'll be able to hold a really good spanish conversation in spanish with all of you guys because that's something Ooh. i yes i am i'm ashamed of that i'm taking latin american studies and i don't have a perfect spanish so I'm gonna get there. So that's my current hobby, improving my Spanish. I love it. Amazing. Yeah. What about you guys? I've taken up baking again, which is so cliche, but um, I used to bake when I was younger and then I've been trying out new recipes. So that's kind of what I've been doing. That's good though. Pretty is always a good option. In, in my case, so I have two, two projects. The first one is, so I think it was, Maybe since last summer, I just started collecting a bunch of books. And then in September, I attended, um, oh, what's the name of these? Um, a book sale. And I got at least 15 books. So I'm just trying to go over them. And I want to finish, I'll say maybe all of them by the end of the summer. Um, and the other one is uh, I want to improve my ukulele skills because um, Leo, I, I still have your ukulele. So I've been you trying to learn. I've been I've been trying to learn new songs, and it's just a nice way to practice and do something different than reading articles and using my computer to watch Netflix or staying like social media. Yeah. Um. So I've been reading a lot, a lot. Been very interesting. Been reading a lot of been very interesting books. Uh, some about Latin America as well. Uh, that's my main thing I'm doing right now, and I'm also starting a new project, which I can't reveal right now, but I'll be happy to talk about it once uh, I can do that. So those are the two things I'm doing. Great. Ooh. One more thing, guys. So we have a surprise for all of you, and we are very, very happy to announce it pretty soon, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> not now. <laughs> not now, for sure, but it just like we just wanted to bring that to the table and just um we hope you like the podcast and stay tuned for this amazing and exciting project that is coming up 
Okay, that leaves me with nothing else to say. I think that we, we had a good start and we're going to start with these new projects um, head on in the, in the whole Corona situation. And we will keep ourselves feeling optimist, feeling, um, feeling like we can contribute something towards our community and that's what we're going to do it. And for now, you all know that El Cafecito is available on Spotify and on iTunes and also on SoundCloud. I'd like to thank everyone that's here and I'll see everyone next week. Next week, we'll talk about something different or might we not? Who knows? Bye, guys. Muchas gracias. Ciao. Bye.